Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Debbie Manning. I'm part of the congregational care team, part of the table team as well. And I tell you, I feel a little bit like I should be saying, I'm back. It seems like six or seven weeks ago, I stood up here and I told you guys about what preach week was like at my house. And I bet right now you're thinking, oh, I wonder if her husband had a few Jameson gingers under his belt this week. But it ain't true. In part, my husband was in Chicago all week on business. But the other piece of that was there was no preach week. Because how can someone do preach week when they got a Fitbit for Christmas? <laughs> I'm not kidding you. This thing is crazy. For those of you who aren't familiar with a Fitbit, it measures the steps that you take every day. You have to have 10,000 for a healthy lifestyle. The first day I have this Fitbit on, I come home from work. Steve and I sit down for dinner. We get up. He's sitting on the couch relaxing. And all of a sudden, he hears this noise behind him. And he looks back and he sees me doing this. And he says, what are you doing? I got 2,000 steps left, and I am not going to bed before I get them in. And that has been the story of our life since I got the Fitbit. But in seriousness, it's been really good for me to take care of myself a little bit. And, you know, I think we all do that in different ways, right? Take care of ourselves. When my family really gets into the fitness mode, we start doing the um, Insanity DVDs. And for those of you that are familiar with Insanity or T25, those are led by this super buff fitness instructor named Sean T. And at the end of one of the videos, Sean T, he's, you know, all buff and like this, and he says, sometimes I ask myself, why do I do the things that I do? And then he answers himself, and he says, because I want to look good. And honestly, that always just makes me cringe, because that's not why we care for ourselves. It's not about looking good. It's about living the full life that God calls us to so that we, in turn, can step into the places that God tells us to step into. And it's a little bit like our capital campaign for me, when I think about caring for our building, remodeling, updating, it's not about looking good. It is about being the best we can be, being a space in this culture that we live in that can invite people in to this transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. So a couple weeks ago, John kicked off the capital campaign. Imagine church. Imagine what the church can be. And we've really solidified what our values are, who we are. And last week, John talked about the value of living in the tension. And today, I'm talking about the value of tangible care and hospitality and how that kind of love changes lives. So we're going to be in the book of Matthew. I love the book of Matthew. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. He gave an incredible witness to the long-awaited Messiah who came to earth and changed everything. One of the things I loved most about the book of Matthew is it reminds us that as Jesus' followers, the thing that unifies us, that brings us together, is service to Jesus. Despite previous um, class, race, religious beliefs. And you can really look at the book of Matthew 
as an instructional manual on what it means to be a disciple. And I think we keep that in mind as we look at the text today, which is from Matthew 25, 30 through 41. You can, or 31 through 40. Grab your Bibles or it'll be up on the screen as well. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I say, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So we have Jesus telling the disciples the story of the Son of Man who comes back in glory and he takes the people and he separates them. He separates them into two groups, sheep and goats. This is something that his audience would have been familiar with. It happens still today in the Middle East. The sheep and the goats, they graze together and then they're separated out for shearing and they're separating, separated out at night because the goats can't keep themselves warm, so they would have understood that. But then he goes on to say, they'll be separated out based on, on how people treated the hungry and the thirsty, the stranger, the sick, the needy, the lonely. Now I think what's interesting is sometimes this passage is used to talk about who or who is not going to heaven. I think we miss the point if we focus on that. Because what Jesus is saying is that he will know his true followers by those who cared for the suffering and the hurting right here, right now. The righteous, those that are aligned with God, they'll inherit the kingdom not because of their compassionate acts, but because of hearts of compassion, because of changed lives that demonstrate themselves in the way they love and care for other people. And particularly, the least of these. So I don't think the question is about who goes. I think the interesting question is why? Why are some invited to this eternal joy and others condemned? And it's really simple if you take a close look at the passage. Whether they went to the right or the left depended on if they recognized Jesus. Now it's true, right, that we see Jesus every time we open the Bible. We see our Savior and Redeemer. We see Jesus 
in the holy sacrament of baptism, when we gather together and take the bread and wine in communion, we see Jesus when we worship together, when we pray together, when we bring our troubles to God together. We're going to see Jesus at work at the end of this message when we install our new lay care ministers. But Jesus, he goes beyond that. And he asks whether we've seen him in the face of the hungry and the thirsty, the stranger, the sick, those that are in prison. Jesus is looking at our heart and our actions of compassion or the lack of it for those that he calls the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. And it seems to me that the message in this parable is telling us that somehow Christ is mysteriously present to us when we help those in need. We're called to care for others just as God has cared for us through Jesus. A couple days ago, Jim Wallace was in town for a Westminster forum. Jim is the... um, editor-in-chief of Sojourners Magazine. He's an author. He's recently written a book on the racial divide. And um, uh, the day before he spoke, a group of pastors, local pastors, were gathered for a smaller conversation, and we got to talk with Jim. And one of the things that Jim said that day has stuck with me all week. He talked about the idea of Imago Dei, the image of God. That means that we recognize that every human being carries the image of God, no exceptions. This is a doctrine of our faith. Genesis 1.27. So God created humankind in his image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. And that means that the image of God exists in all people, black or white, rich or poor, straight or gay, conservative or liberal. The image of God exists in victim and perpetrator, citizen and undocumented, believer and unbeliever. And the implication of this doctrine that we hold tight to is huge for us. Because if we as humans are to love God, then humans must love other humans whom God has created. Because every human is an expression of God. Now, that's not where Jesus stops for us in this text. If we believe that all humans are created in the image of God, that means that we're the beings. We are the beings through whom God God's plans and purposes are being made known and lived out. Jesus tells us that the least, the lost, the forgotten, that it's in our brokenness that we see the divine. Jesus never stops pointing to the divine image in people who are the easiest to pass by, the easiest to ignore, the most likely to be forgotten. So who is that for you? 
because I know I've got a few. And the power of the passage is Jesus' insistence that the divine is all around us. It's in, especially in places that we are least likely to look. But there's a second piece to this parable. There's a larger story that Jesus is referring to, one that's rooted in his first century Jewish audience, and that's that they understood, they were convicted of, that God is looking for partners, people to partner with him in the care of the world, to do something good in the world. And the question that's really driving this story is what will you do with what you've been given? So I guess it's a question that better be driving each of us. Are you growing in awareness of the divine in every person, every conversation, every interaction that you encounter? Are we more and more aware of how important it is to be present, to be compassionate, to be caring to those that we meet in the day-to-day? And I think the interesting thing is it's in the big and the small things. It's easy to think about the big wows. But as I was studying this passage, I was thinking about a member of our congregation. His name is George. And he's someone that Jody visits. And while Jody was out of town, I got a chance to go see George. And he's elderly and he's bedridden at this point and in the, that last season of his life. And as I sat by his bedside and I heard a story, I got to hear about the love of his life, his wife who had passed away a few years ago. I got to hear about his faith and what it was like to be a doctor in those days. And I was struck in the middle of it. I was all filled up with seeing the face of Jesus and George, the divine image of God. It was an amazing experience. I think when we look at this text, it has to be looked at in the overarching narrative of Jesus, a Jesus who is sensitive to suffering. John Ortberg, in his book, Who is This Man? He talked about Jesus as being compassionate and cranky. And his compassion came from this outrageous love that he had for every individual. And his pain was around anybody that was overlooked. And in all the stories, and there's so many of them in the Bible, that told about Jesus' compassion. His compassion was never because somebody deserved it. His compassion was because somebody needed it. This is my favorite Orper quote from that book. Compassion began, became the brand of this new religious movement, not because it attracted such wonderful people, but because they understood from their founder it was not an optional piece of equipment. Jesus created a new vision of a human being. And people actually took Jesus at his word. And after Jesus died, his followers remembered his word. They remembered his acts of compassion. And they became this church that cared about the sick and the suffering. And people on the outside took notice. There is a um, sociologist, Rodney Stark, 
And he argues that one of the primary reasons for the spread of the Jesus movement was the way his followers responded to the sick and the hurting. You know what that makes me think of? Imagine church. Imagine what the church is called to be, what we could be. Because at the end of the day, Jesus' mission is our mission. And here's the reality. We, we worship a God who is all tangled up in the suffering of this world and our suffering and in the suffering of other people. And in fact, we worship a God who has chosen not to untangle everything, but invites us to partner with him in caring for others. And in particular, the least of these. And for us, this means reaching out to sick friends and making meals for a grieving family and welcoming the stranger to our church home and walking alongside people that are broken and hurting. And we do not have to look far to find people who Jesus called the least because in the reality, the least is me and it's you and it's our neighbor. You know, we actually do care pretty well here, and we do it in lots of different ways. But I do think foundational to care being the fabric of who we are is the lay care ministry. And the lay care ministry is something that Rich and Jody started up. I guess they were imagining church in a big way 25 years or more ago. And through the lay care ministries, people come forward with compassionate heart and they get a little bit of training and equipping and they go out and they visit our seniors and they visit those in the hospital and they walk alongside those who are grieving and they run care groups and they sit back in that room and they pray. They bring meals. They do amazing things. And I'd love for you guys to take a look and get a glimpse of that. Just watch. Bill and I have been at the church for quite a while, and we've had many opportunities to do different service things, and uh, lay caring has always been one of those things that we've heard about, thought about, and considered, and then we got connected, we made a decision to do a senior visitation, and then we got a chance to meet Doris and Brooks. And we've had so many wonderful hours with Joanne and Bill visiting at their home, our home, restaurants, all these things. We just have enjoyed visiting, and it's amazing the number of kind of interconnected opportunities that have worked out for us to visit with them, and we bump into them at church, you know, uh, go to their apartment, they've come to our home. It's just been a blast. Yeah, we've, we feel that Bill and Joanne have taken us under wing, and they're just like our second family, and uh, uh, we sure welcome in, into our life. You know, one of the really simple, basic things that God calls us to do is to be in relationship and to love one another, and service becomes a part of that. And so we feel like that's what we get the opportunity to do with Doris and Brooks, is just to be in relationship with them and to love them like God called us to love other people. Uh, my husband, Dean, passed away in January of, of 2008. Eight months before that, we unexpectedly lost one of our identical twins. So to say that I was lost and hurting and in a lot of pain was probably a pretty big understatement. 
I like to say that my story is a story with a capital S, and it, it's been a difficult one, um, but one that God has just abundantly blessed me on. Uh, so I've been on the prayer and healing team for quite a while now, and we get to be there um, just available to um, whoever really needs prayer that particular moment. When Dean died, he died on a Monday, and Tuesday night I showed up and walked into grief recovery here at CPC one day later, but I knew that there were gonna be people there that were gonna walk with me, uphold me, share my tears, and just really be present for me. Many times I think a lot of us on the team are ministering out of our own broken places, our own pains that we've walked through, and um, God uses it. As one who has received a lot of care from others, God slowly started putting people on my heart to start using the care that I had received to give back to others. So approximately two years after Dean's death, I moved from being a um, participant in grief recovery to being part of the team. And that slowly then became um, not just a team position, but helping to co-lead grief recovery here at CPC. I just recently finished the lay care training this fall, um, and I'm part of the first kind of lay care team for the table. Uh, and I decided to join because I thought it was really important um, to know people in my commun community intimately. Influential in the decision of my going into lay care training was the idea of how can I be of service. I think seeing how people in this community care for others has changed my view of what it means to uh, actually be in service within your faith. Um, I assumed faith was something that you just showed up to and didn't actually participate in. Well, my wife and I had been uh, attending CPC for a few years, and um, I always just felt like something was missing. I was going to the church services on Sundays, but not much more than that. Um, so after the encouragement of a co-worker uh, to attend the lay care training session, uh, after a few years of that, I decided to take him up on it, uh, and it was just a wonderful fit. At Student Lay Care, um, we celebrate the amazing things that God does for us in our lives, and we also walk beside students and families as they're going through difficult things, such as a loss of a family member or divorce, and we're here to remind people that they're loved no matter where they are. Lay Care has changed me because I've seen God work in ways that I hadn't before. Growing up, I struggled with different things and I received the kind of care that I would think Jesus would have given to the people he saw. When I was in eighth grade, my mom had breast cancer and um, I received a care package from the high schoolers at CPC and I was completely blown away by the fact that kids that barely even knew me knew my situation and were caring about me. That situation was definitely a defining moment for me and what inspired me to join the team when I got to high school. Through Student Lake Care, I've learned that it's not necessarily about fixing someone or something, but just showing up and being there and having your presence with them. When I struggle to see God's will for me, I need the care of the community around me to show me that will, because um, I often can't see it myself. Caring for one another and being in community with one another um, changes everything. I don't think there's any question about that. I think um, by knowing people intimately, you can see God. Um, I think listening to someone um, and really validating who they are gives them um, some power. Um, and they feel, uh, I think, changed and known. Um, and I think that's how 
caring for one another changes things. I think our challenge is to see the divine in every face we encounter. I think our challenge is with this compassion that we've experienced through Christ to reach out and care and love each other and especially the least, the lost, and the forgotten. And it really is simple. It's about living out the gospel here and now. I gotta imagine that's what Christ imagined his church to be. Tangible care and hospitality. It really does change lives. Please pray with me. Holy God, we are so grateful to be yours. And Lord, we're thankful that while on earth you showed us what it meant to love and welcome and care for all people. Please help us, God, to be people that see you in every face and reach out with the love and the care and compassion that we have experienced from you. All this in your holy name we pray. Amen.